He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad! Oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you as always for our U.S. Open preview. And we have a massive show for you guys. The Golf Channel's Colby Powell will be coming up. We're going to cover everything from L.A. Country Club to the players, what John Rahm said today. We'll talk about all of that later on in the show. But before we do that, guys... Since last week was such a crazy week, our schedule got messed up, and we didn't do a RBC Canadian Open recap. So, guys, I mean, we got to talk about that for about 10 minutes or so here. Nick Taylor gets the job done in a playoff over Tommy Fleetwood. Nick Taylor, the Canadian, the fans were rooting him on, fellas. It's rare that you see Tommy Fleetwood turned into a villain, uh, but he definitely was on that Sunday. The home fans were definitely rooting for Nick Taylor, and it turned out to be maybe the best finish of the year, fellas, draining the 72-foot eagle putt to win his country's national championship. Yeah, usually with a major championship this week and doing a, a Tuesday show, we would have just said, okay, well, well, we'll move on and not even discuss it. But the first time that a Canadian wins the Canadian Open in 69 years, that's a big deal. And something that not very many people were talking about, at least leading up to it, but you think about it, and that's something that for their country, that means a lot for them. And that's been a, a tremendous amount of length. I mean, that's seven decades worth of not having a national champion when you're open. I mean, that's pretty, pretty intense when you think about it. And then the 72-footer just capping off was absolutely spectacular. But what it actually did was it kind of covered the fact of Tommy Fleetwood played the worst 18th hole or 72nd hole of a tournament I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. I don't know what the hell he was thinking, not just course management, but also swing. And then you also have my pick on the Sunday radio show, Rory McIlroy, to win the tournament. He plays like a freaking bum like he has on every Sunday this year. I don't know why the hell I decided to pick him, but I did for some reason. So I am officially off the Roy bandwagon, at least for now. So I don't know, Woody. Uh, the, the Canadian winning obviously trumped it all, but there was a decent amount of storylines for this tournament. There was a lot going on for the Canadian Open. That was spectacular. It was a great finish with the 72-foot putt, but I'm like you, the way Tommy Fleetwood butchered the 72nd <laughs> hole, uh, I, I mean, you just kind of go, wow, because I thought Tommy Fleetwood was going to get his first win on the PGA Tour. I thought, okay, he's finally going to break through, but... Uh, what a what a cool finish to a golf tournament because he was Canadian. I mean, that would have been a cool finish any time you cut it, a 72-foot putt. I mean, how many times can we let him sit down there and try that again and make it? Uh, I, I'd say the odds are going to be really in the favor of the house. But when that putt went in, I mean, those people went nuts. I, I, I don't know, guys. I, I'm kind of sentimental. I thought... Nick Taylor has been playing pretty good golf all year. And for him to pull that one out, that was really special. That was really special. Absolutely. And it was a great scene on 18. Adam Hadwin, guys, gets tackled by the security guard. 
guys, what if he would have gotten hurt? I mean, how do you not know who Adam Hadwin is as a security guard? I know there's a lot of players out there, but don't you think if someone has an actual champagne bottle that he probably belongs on the green for some reason? Well, it's so funny because you're watching the broadcast and they zoom in on Nick Taylor's caddy hugging and having this moment. Then you just see the head of the security guard to come out of nowhere. And you're kind of like, what the hell just happened? And then Jim Nance has the all-time call of saying, Adam Hadwin has just been tackled by the security <laughs> guard. And you're like, well, where's the video? So we're all scrimging the Twitter to see what the hell happened. And eventually, Woody, it was all over the place. We had a million different angles of it. And I was just thinking about it. I, I can't remember a time another athlete in, in a sporting event had ever been tackled by a security guard. I don't think this was a first in golf. At least from my knowledge, this was the first in sports history. <laughs> I, I, I've never seen it. I, I, was, I was baffled. I, I'll tell you what I thought was funny about that was Adam Hadwin just gets lambasted, but it, it was a true athlete. He holds on to the bottle. I don't know if you guys saw that, but he wouldn't let go of that I bottle. That. It, was still, <laughs> it was still spraying everywhere. But Nick Taylor's caddy's the one that, that really went, he was, like you said, he's hugging his, his player, you know, and they're all excited, and all of a sudden he turns around, and then he realizes who this guy was tackling, and man, he made a beeline at that security guard. I don't know if you could see that. But That's right. He went over there and grabbed that guy, and then, you know, Nick Taylor <laughs> and a couple other people came over there real quick, but uh, yeah, that was that was such an unusual thing, but you didn't, there wasn't anybody, well, CBS really didn't say anything other than what you just said. They said, Nant said, well, yeah, Adam Adam just got tackled by the security guard. Okay, move <laughs> on. Um, I was like, well, he got what? You know, and and so uh, I, I thought that was kind of funny. I mean, it was just like brushed away real quick. Like, no big deal. We're, we're cool. Let's go on. So, Woody, you were the uh, first person I thought of when I saw that because I figured Woody has some sort of story similar to this. I mean, I know that it's probably the first time a security guard has tackled another player on the 18th green, but what is a, some similar story that you have seen or crazy after, after party story or something, Woody, you have to have seen something in all your years on the PGA tour. Not, not as near as crazy as that. And again, guys, keep in mind back when I was playing, that was before nine 11, there really wasn't a lot of security. I'm going to just tell you that right now. That was not like you would possibly even think. There was virtually nobody there. What you always did have is you'd have certain guards around the doors at clubhouses, which you still see. And back in my day, all you had was this little money clip that you had hooked to your belt, or you'd carry it and flash it, and then you'd get to go wherever you wanted to go. Well, I had a buddy of mine (laughs) that – he had forgotten his money clip, okay? He didn't have it. And he said, yeah, those guys aren't going to stop me. It's not a problem. And so I said, well, okay. And so I go walk through, and I get right by a flash my little money clip, and he's coming right behind me, and he goes, I don't have mine, but I'm, I'm trying to think. I'm thinking of the guy's name, but I, I went blank. He was from Florida, and he won a couple. No one hinky. That's who it was. Nolan Hinky. He won a couple times on tour. Really good player. And he was just a slave back Florida. And then, you know, he just said, yeah, I'm Nolan Hinky. I'm a player. Well, obviously, these guys didn't know who was a player who wasn't. One of them 
kind of pinned him up against the wall while the other one bent his arm back around him. And I said, whoa, whoa, guys, he is a tour player. He's, <laughs> he's with me. He's with me. And 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 no one was kind of getting a little uh, irritated at this point. Cause I they're, bet. They're kind of pinning him up against the wall pretty good. And uh, so we got him to stop. And he turned around and he goes, well, you stupid. And you can imagine the MFs that came out. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the closest thing I ever saw to somebody roughing up a PGA Tour player. Um, nothing like that, Sam. I wish I could tell you a better story, but I, I just never saw it in my day. We just didn't have it. Nolan Hinky and Adam Havwin. Uh, T-Dub, let's get back to this tournament really quick because you mentioned in passing that Tommy Fleetwood played one of the worst 72 70- second holes that you have ever seen uh, I tend to agree with you I have no clue what his thought process was of laying that second shot up right I mean he so he goes iron off the tee box into the rough leaves himself in a bad spot but he had a good lie in the rough if you just hit it anywhere up around the green by the way it's like a grandstand to the right of the green that's the size of the green monster. We'll get to where he hit it in a second in the, what was it, the second playoff hole. But on that 72nd hole, then he lays up with an iron into the rough on a severe side slope where the ball's way below his feet and then hits it up on the green. But T-Dub, he didn't even give himself a chance at birdie and it's one of the easier finishing holes on the PGA Tour. All he had to do was hit some sort of long iron or wood out of that rough, get it somewhere up by the green. The worst look he's going to have at birdie is 20 feet. And unfortunately for Tommy Fleetwood, he didn't have that look. It had to have been something with the, with the lie on that second shot that did him in because you could tell he was looking at it a lot of different ways. And whatever it was, he just didn't feel comfortable with it. But you, you go back to the tee shot, and that's what really did it. You have to put the ball in the fairway. On that hole, and I don't want to give Thomas Fleetwood credit. He birdied 16 and 17 going up to that hole, which gave him the opportunity to win outright. Had he made a birdie, so I mean, he he had done the things right up until that point. But what he's not being able to hit that fairway on 18, and then you can question the decision on the layup too. But had he just hit a better layup as well, he could have been in the fairway and given himself an opportunity. So you, you can question the decision making, but also just got to question bad swings at the bat at a, at a wrong time. How do you not? tried to win that golf tournament at that point. I can only remember a few tournaments in my lifetime where I had a chance to win them, and I wasn't laying up. <laughs> I didn't lay up. That's I went right. ahead and fired away because I thought, well, I might not get another shot like this. I'm going. So, well, what do you um, know who didn't lay up was the guy that won the golf tournament, Nick Taylor. And not only did he make the long 72-footer like we talked about, how about that putty made on 18 to even get himself into that playoff with Tommy Fleetwood? The big swinger from right to left and just drips it right in the heart. I mean, that took some stones. Oh, my. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guys, I, we've said this so many times on this podcast. In golf in general, whether you're playing your club championship or your buddies or you're playing the PGA Tour, you know, sometimes everything just goes your way. And uh, a couple weeks before, or two weeks before, Victor Hovland, you know, it went his way, finally. You know? So it's crazy in golf. And, and we always talk about the golf gods, and I believe in them. I truly do. When it's your time, it's your destiny, everything just seems to fall into place. And it, it did for Nick Taylor. 
to your point about uh, how Tommy Flew would play 18, that 18 hole is one of the quirkiest holes I've ever seen in my entire life. I, I'm not sure if I'm a fan of it, if I like it, but a hole where you're supposed to hit a three iron or a five wood or something like that to stay short, and then you're hitting essentially that much club again. I've never been big fans of that generally, but it seemed like this hole played pretty well. Of course, the tournament, and, and just giving Nick Taylor credit as well. He made one of the worst bogeys I ever saw on the 16th hole. The tournament comes back and makes a great putt on 17 for birdie, then makes the, the 18 uh, there as well. So being able to bounce back like that. And also in the fourth round, Nick Taylor gained 3.39 shots on the greens. That's pretty crazy. Just showed, showed how well that he putted that day. No doubt about it. T-Dub, was that the best finish of the year? I think that you probably have to give it the best finish of the year. As far as tournament of the year, I know I'm biased on this one with knowing Taylor Gooch, but that scene at Live Adelaide was something that I was not expecting that week. I think maybe the expectation level to start the week uh, was exceeded, and that's probably why I would give the tournament of the year to Live Adelaide, but I don't know. It, that was the finish of the year to me at the RBC Canadian Open. Uh, the Canadian winning his National Open first time in 69 nights years, that that's happened, I think that's a pretty big deal. So yeah, I definitely think it's a contender. I hadn't really to talk about it up to this point, so I'm sure there's probably some great tournament I'm not thinking of at this point. But I don't know, definitely a strong contender for a, a holy that we're going to have coming up at the end of the year for sure. I love the holies. I can't wait. <laughs> Everybody loves the holies. Okay, fellas, let's go ahead and take a break here. And then after the break, we are going to get to Colby Powell, the Golf Channel's Colby Powell, formerly of the 73rd Hole Podcast, to start breaking down this U.S. Open at L.A. Country Club. If you are not already subscribed to the 73rd Hole Podcast, definitely go do so. It's absolutely free, and it just helps us out, and it will give you a notification whenever we drop a new episode. And also, follow us on social media. I'm at Sam Humphreys 34 our Twitter handle is at the 73rd hole on Twitter and at 73rd hole on Instagram and T-Dub give out your social media as well. T underscore Williams one-on-one on Twitter and T Williams underscore 10 on Instagram. There you go. We'll be posting a ton of great content throughout the week, given it is a major championship week here on Oklahoma's leader in golf, the 73rd hole podcast. Hey everyone, T-Dub here. I want to take a second to tell you about my good friends at McCray Roofing. Not too long ago, my roof was in desperate need of repair. There was extensive hail damage and I had many leaks that needed attention. Not only did Jeff and his staff build me a new roof, but they walked me through step-by-step of the claims process, which is something that I was very, very concerned about. Everything from the initial inspection of the roof to analyze all the damage to meeting with the insurance adjuster to make sure they were aware of every damaged area, making sure my claim was accurate. Their custom copper creations are truly beautiful and add a great touch to any roof. Not only do they do residential roofs, but they have an elite list of commercial customers, including Gallardia Country Club, Oak Tree National, and Bass Pro Shops. Check out their website at McCrayRoofing.com to view some of their work yourself and give them a call at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. And we are back on the other side of the break here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you. And we are now joined by a very special guest, one who got his start at the 73rd Hole and now is working with the Golf Channel, one Colby Powell. 
Colby, I know it's your anniversary today. Congratulations to you and Dana. What did you guys do today for your anniversary? Thank you for coming on the podcast and making some time. And I'm not saying thank you to you. I'm saying thank you to Dana. Yes, I will pass that thank you along. What's up, boys? It's good to be on with y'all. We, uh, we're, we're kind of adventurous. So we had the bright idea. We've been kind of riding bikes lately with the baby and stuff and a little trailer. My wife's like, why don't we go out and try to ride on this trail, right? So there's a park in Oklahoma City. It's called Bluff Creek Park. It's just north of Lake Hefner. When we get out there, guys, we thought we were going to be riding on, like, a trail. We were mountain biking. We were mountain biking in Oklahoma City. We're going down, like, drops. We're, like, bouncing over tree roots. <laughs> I fell off in some brush at some point, And we get – we're driving back, right? I see a tick on my knee. I'm like, all right, one tick, no big deal. Right? No big deal. I grab it. I pinch it. I flick it out the window. My wife is freaking out. Dana does not do ticks. She's got no time for them. So we get home. I get out of the car. I see another one on my leg. I start looking. Boys, as of right now, I am at 11 and counting on these ticks. Dana had zero. Somehow, Somehow Dana had zero ticks on her. I am at 11 and counting. I thought I had them all before I took a shower. I took a shower about 30 seconds before y'all called me. I just pulled another one off my ankle. So when I say that I am itchy right now, like my skin is crawling. Are you ticked off? Oh, you had to have fallen in a. It... <laughs> <laughs> oh, you had to have fallen in like a nest of them or something. That's the only explanation when you fell in that brush. I don't know though because we met some random guy out there. I was talking to him in the parking lot. We ended up exchanging phone numbers. He was a cool guy and. Uh, I shot him a text to see if he had any. He said that he had five. So if anybody from Oklahoma City Parks and Rec is listening, Bluff Creek Park, y'all need to go spray for ticks. I am crawling right now. I'm like, I'm like pacing back here. I'm in this back room of my house, like pacing around as I'm talking to y'all because I'm, I'm gassed up from all these ticks. Okay, last question about this, Colby, that I have is where <laughs> you said you were bouncing over tree roots and over ramps or whatever you guys were doing. I mean, did you have the baby wagon in the back that you were, you know, bouncing over? Was she in the wagon just doing the same stunts you guys were doing? Oh, God, no. No, we we would have killed her on that trail. Um, we barely got through it ourselves. It took like an hour and a half. We were lost in the woods. No, we had a babysitter. She stays on the, she stays on the concrete. Um I've got my share of ticks where my place is. Do any of them have a little white dot on their back? No white dot. I no white dot. I was looking as I was pulling them off. No white dot. Good. So good. Okay. Yeah. I was going. I, I, I'm trying to be serious now. I'm not making a joke here, guys. Cause if you, <laughs> right. If you saw any with that little white dot, I mean, you get those off as fast as you can. As long as you don't have any, you're good. Because that, that's what carried that uh, Rocky Mountain spotted fever. Yeah, I'm, I'm a city boy now, Woody. There's nothing from, to play with. I'm from Chickasha originally. Both my grandparents had farms. I've had my fair share of ticks. I, I kind of know the tick protocol, but okay, good. Man, it's good. been it's been since I was a kid, probably since I got into double digits, and it. Ooh, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, it's I've gotten a little acclimated to the city, Woody. I'm, I'm not I'm not ready to go back to that country <laughs> life. These ticks are getting me. Oh gosh! Oh, you're gonna have to have Dana check every single inch of you, bro. Like every inch. Yeah, oh, yeah. that already happened. It's very uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. She's going to look at areas that she never looked at before. Yeah, Happy anniversary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's true love, true love. There well, you go. Well, Colby, uh, just when you thought the last seven days couldn't get any wilder, 
they just did with your tick adventure. Um, but before we get into the U.S. Open, Colby, I got to ask you, what are your thoughts on the last last seven days, the PGA Tour and Live, and whether it's a merger or not? I, I think that's yet to be determined. But what are your thoughts on uh, what happened over this past week? Yeah, I'll try to keep this under an hour. Um, I was shocked, first off. I thought I was being punked originally whenever I saw it because somebody sent it to me, and I was like, okay, cool. Somebody put something out on the Internet. And then I got, like, two more texts, and I'm like, okay, hold on. So then I, I got on, I checked it out. I'm like, oh, my God, what is happening here? So um, first off, my, my first reaction was, what an absolute PR disaster. This thing was rolled out in the worst possible way. They rolled it out with no information. They, they basically didn't tell us. Nobody could tell us anything. Jay Monahan sat up there and looked like an absolute moron. I mean, Jay Monahan. Actually, I think we should give Jay Monahan credit because Jay Monahan did something that I didn't think anyone in this Live Golf PGA Tour divide could do. He made everyone on both sides think that he was a jackass. Like everybody else, either one side thinks you're a jackass or the other, but not both sides. And somehow Jay Monahan united the entire golf world in thinking that he is completely incompetent and has no idea what he's doing. It's, my initial reaction was, that this has to be financially motivated because, I mean, the language that he used was so strong. People were posting the clip around uh, of him invoking 9-11 and the families that he knew and stuff. And, like, he, his language specifically was so strong before we even get into any of the players or anything. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, the only way Dave Monahan does this is if he had no other choice because they were going to run out of money because they were trying to play – a money game that they weren't equipped for. And, you know, there was some reporting later in the week that kind of hinted at that. I don't know that we'll ever know the intricacies of how this came together, but I was completely shocked, and I was left thinking, you know, regardless of how this all comes together, I don't know how Jay Monahan is ever going to regain the trust of his players. Maybe he stays commissioner another 20 years. Maybe uh, he's commissioner another two months. I don't know. But I don't know how he can ever get the trust of his players back because he's very adamantly said one thing and then behind their back, unilaterally, with no input from a single player, he did the exact opposite. I, I don't know how Jay Monahan sat in that meeting last week and looked those guys in the eye. Colby, welcome to the club of thinking that Jay Monahan <laughs> yeah. is an absolute moron. We've tried yeah, to tell no, you. It's, yeah, no, you did. And, and I, I was giving him the benefit of the doubt because, you know, there were I could see – the logic for why he was doing what he was doing from a business standpoint stuff. And but now I'm looking at him and I'm like, so was this calculated? Was this random? Or are you just flying by the seat of your pants here, making decisions day by day? I just, I really, the PGA Tour is a player run organization. You know, when Roger Goodell screws up and everybody wants to make it out like Roger Goodell, some incompetent loon or something, we all have to remember Roger Goodell works for the owner in the NFL. And as long as he's making them money, He's doing a great job. And that's not the case with Jay Monahan. This is a player-run tour. The players have input. This is supposed to be the player's tour. And it kind of sounds to me like three or four guys went into some fancy high-rise in a boardroom and made a decision to totally change golf for the entire world without any input from a single player. And that was the part that was hardest for me to wrap my head around, is that it was a bunch of 60-year-olds in suits deciding the future of golf with no input from players. Yeah, yeah, Kobe, the, the players had absolutely no say in it whatsoever, including 
one of the best of all time, the best of all time, the GOAT, Tiger Woods. Every time we have you on, I have to ask you a Tiger Woods question. Why has he been radio silent about this? Yeah, I, I think that Tiger is very careful with his image, and I think that Tiger recognizes that we don't have a lot of information right now. Like, I heard Paul McGinley on Life Run last night say, this is an agreement that they're going to come to an agreement. So there is so much gray area right now, and there is so much unknown that, I mean, Tiger's not playing right now. I think that he is doing the smart thing by waiting until he has real information on this to say anything because we're all crafting opinions and, you know, talking about Jay Monahan and what an idiot he is and all this stuff. And there's so much we don't know. They still have to finalize all the details, even if they do. I mean, the Department of Justice could shut it down with the click of a button. I just, there is so much still to be decided that I think Tiger is just sitting it out until he has a complete picture with complete information. And at that time, I think we'll hear from Tiger. But I don't think we're going to hear from him anytime soon. I think you're spot on with that, Colby. I, he, he doesn't make a move without thinking about it and really studying it. So I, I, I do agree with you totally there. And I also agree with you. I think this deal, I'm not sure that Jay didn't dive into this over his head real early, which we discussed this before with you. And then it just kind of mushroomed and mushroomed, and there was a lot of things said between both leagues, and all of a sudden, you get this corner you're backed into. That's why I think he went with Jimmy and, uh, you know, a couple of those other guys and kept it as fast as he could, because I think when he finally got meeting with those guys, Colby, I truly believe he said, guys, I'm I'm in trouble here. We're, we're in trouble here. I got to find a way out of this, because I think that PGA Tour, as we know it, would have gone insolvent if they tried to keep up with this Saudi group. They couldn't do it. There's no way. So the worst part about this to me is now I'm going to sound like I'm almost on the PGA Tour side, which I've always been on the Liz side. But the worst thing about this to me, Colby, and I want your opinion on this, I am really, truly worried that they got so far back in the corner that even though they're making a good pitch about Jay's going to be the CEO and everything's going to be good, we're going to figure all this out. I don't trust the Saudis. And I said that to Sam. I said, I really don't like the fact that a foreign entity is running our golf. Do you? Uh, no, no, I don't. I, I, I don't think that it's good for the PGA Tour to have a foreign entity running it because you'll never know whether their intentions are pure and you'll never know whether their intentions are to do what's best for golf. But they've kind of gotten themselves in a situation now, the PGA Tour, where I don't know if uh, maybe sponsors weren't as excited about this designated event deal as the PGA Tour and Jay Monahan thought that they were going to be. I mean, they were asking sponsors to put up a bunch of money, and they were asking a lot of these sponsors. And we saw, you know, AT&T was wanting out of the Byron Helton because that's not an elevated event. And if you're not an elevated, designated, whatever, if you're not one of those events, you're not going to pull a stronger field. So I think the sponsors were balking uh, with the PGA Tour. Uh, no, I'm not crazy about a foreign entity running the PGA Tour. I, I'd be very curious to know what is in all that fine print, and, and we probably won't for a long time, maybe ever. Um, you, you need to make sure that the PGA Tour stays a player-run organization because that is what – has allowed it to be so sustainable uh, and have so much success over the years. You take the best players in the world, those guys know what's good for golf. They're in it every day. They're living it. And I, I just hope that this doesn't lead to a situation where players no longer have input 
and it's just soup. Like, I think that would be a real problem uh, for golf. And if it's, if it's no players and it's just Saudi suits, then, yeah, I, I, I don't know what their intentions are. Um, is this just the first domino as they're trying to make their way into the United States? I don't know if you guys saw the NBA recently uh, revoked a rule. They had a rule in place that sovereign wealth funds from foreign nations could not purchase NBA teams, and they got rid of that. I would assume that sometime in the next few years we're going to see the Saudis start to buy an NBA team and an NFL team. And I don't know if this is just the first domino um, and they're just using golf to, to try to get a bigger piece of the pie. I don't know. That that part does make me a little uncomfortable, but I, I think the PGA Tour is also a little bit between a rock and a hard place. And uh, if they truly were going to run out of money, then they probably didn't have a lot of options. The one thing we do know in all of this follow the money, right? I mean, that's what we've been saying this entire time is follow the money. And that's why I don't believe Jimmy Dunn or Jay Monahan when they tell me, and maybe it's just because we just figured out that they've been lying to us for all this time, but I don't believe Jay Monahan or Jimmy Dunn when they say that Yasser isn't going to, you know, have the final say on pretty much everything. And I, I think that you got to follow the money when it comes to that. And those, and the silver lining to what you guys are saying about the foreign entity controlling the PGA Tour is now players will be getting paid guaranteed contracts and more money will be being pumped into the game of golf. And I think there's good things and bad things on both sides of that. Um, Colby, I got to ask you, what's the vibe like in the Golf Channel group text over this past week? Um, It was definitely shock last Tuesday when it initially came down. But as soon as the shock faded, we all just had to like transition into work mode because you talk about a busy couple days. Uh, that was a busy couple days. I was actually off. I helped a little bit um, when I could, when they needed me. But, uh, yeah, they were slammed. And then I was working late in the week during kind of some of the, the Canada stuff as we were trying to get more information. And, you know, Jim Nance says that Jay Monahan's not coming in the booth because he wants to respect RBC as the sponsor. Give me a break, dude. You're not coming in the booth because you don't want to sit there and answer questions. That's why you're not coming in the booth. had nothing to do with RBC and the sponsor. If, if Jay Monahan would have gotten the booth, Every eyeball in the golf world would have tuned in. RBC probably would have loved it. That's what you want. You want people watching. Jay Monahan didn't go in the booth because he's a coward. Um, yeah, it, it's been shock initially, and then everybody kind of just got to work. And now it's kind of just a wait-and-see mode. I think there's some skepticism that it's going to come together in a clean fashion because um, some people are saying, you know, Live Golf will absolutely continue and have a season in 2024. And then somebody else, I uh, read some report last week that says that that's highly unlikely, and we don't know what players trying to get back onto the PGA Tour or DP World Tour looks like. So uh, kind of wait and see right now, but it was absolutely shock last week. Like, we were all just stunned. Is this real? Like, there were a couple is this real uh, messages in the Slack, and yeah, it, it was very shocking, very stunning, and very much upended what we were all doing. And, and Tita, one more point that I wanted to bring up. Colby and Woody were talking about, you know, being a player-run tour. Well, John Rom basically came out today and said it's not that right now. And, I mean, we've heard Woody say it wasn't that back in the 90s. Yeah, I think the idea was that it was a player-run tour. And I think last Tuesday, that revealed itself as a facade. So that's why I say I, I don't know how Jay Monahan gets the trust of the players back because he has to – he has to let it be a player-run tour, and he has to somehow now convince these guys after going behind their backs and making this deal that he told them that he wasn't going to make. Somehow he has to convince these guys to trust him and that their voices are going to be heard. 
I mean, the, the 10-man player advisory council is going to get together in a few weeks to talk about this deal, and I think they wrote it up in a way where it doesn't even matter uh, how the pack votes. But, yeah, I, I don't know how Jay Monahan gets their trust back because the idea was that it was a player-run tour. Well, if that were true, then that news last Tuesday wouldn't have been a surprise to so many people. Well, what's crazy about it, the thing that shocked me so much was that after the player meeting in Delaware, you thought that, well, the, t- the tour is run by Tiger and Rory and, and the other 10 elite players in the game. All of a sudden, it comes out that Tuesday morning, and none of them had an effing clue what was going on. That's what's so crazy about it to me, which was so shocking. But, Colby, one question I want to ask you before we start getting into some U.S. Open talk is that over the past week in particular, really over the past year on this podcast, we have been ripping one Brandel Chambly to absolute shreds. And the other day, you and me were, were texting a little bit uh, back and forth. So you might be the only person that we ever talked to who actually might slightly defend Brandel. So I'd like you to just give your two cents on that whole situation. Uh, so I haven't actually seen a ton from Brandel this last week. I've seen like little clips uh, of his stuff. In general, I like Brandel. Uh, I think Brandel's a smart guy. We agree on a lot of things. We don't agree on everything. I'm not co-signing every opinion that Brandel throws out into the world. I think that Brandel needs to be consistent. Uh, I think Brandle needs to, you know, he's he's wanted to rip the Saudis and, and those who have been affiliated with him. If that's his take, he needs to keep doing so. Now, when it's time to talk golf, then you put that aside and you analyze. I mean, just like he did at the PGA Championship. When Brooks Koepka won, he, he talked about the shots and then what happened on the back nine and the shot into 16. And that's what he needs to do when it's time to talk golf. But when it's time to talk uh, Saudis and Piff and PGA Tour, he, he just needs to stay consistent because – if he's not, the internet is there, ready to hold him accountable. As far as Brandel goes, Colby, I, I want to get this question in here because obviously I've said it many times that the Golf Channel depends on the success of the PGA Tour. If he is coming out against Yasser Al-Rumayan on the Golf Channel, either way, he's still getting his check from the Golf Channel who has the TV contract with the PGA Tour. I think at least Brandel should apologize for still being on TV after obviously Yasser is in charge. Yeah, I don't. Taylor and I talked about this last week. I just don't think it's reasonable to expect everyone in the golf industry who criticized Liv to just quit their jobs and stop covering golf. Like, he, he, that's his job. There was a shakeup. He has to figure out how to deal with that now because, you know, with the opinions that he's had, he has to figure out, okay, how do I come out and what, what do I think about all this in a way that doesn't make me seem like, I've been a clown over the last year, you know, and that I got played. Um, so I, I don't think it's reasonable to expect people who were critical to just, you know, go away. Um, but I do think that this will be a, a tougher time for Brandel and some of the people who were critical, Eamon Lynch, some of those guys, because um, it very much turned into not just necessarily being critical of the live guys, but it did turn into PGA Tour versus live in a lot of these conversations. And, you know, when you that strongly defend the PGA Tour and you that strongly criticize the other side, and then the PGA Tour goes and joins up with them, um, yeah, I mean, you, you've got some more criticizing, criticizing to do on the side that you were just defending. So um, I, I, I think that, you know, those guys are still going to be around. And I think that that's fine. I think, it's, I think it's good. I think it's good for golf that so many people want to tune in and hear what they have to say. Um, but, yeah, they, they're, they're going to have to be careful and they're going to have to choose their words carefully as this all comes together because, um, yeah, they've, they've had some pretty strong takes over the last year, year and a half. So as we sit here, we're in June getting ready to play the U.S. Open. I'm going to make a prediction. I don't think Greg Norman or Jay Monahan will have their job. And first off, I think in a room they're being told you're good. 
but this will show you how vicious this circle will be because I think Monahan will get the axe, and then I think Yasser will get rid of Greg Norman. And the reason why I do is there's such a distaste for Greg Norman from most of the PGA side. They think he's been on a vendetta for 30 years, which I I didn't think he has. I really do, guys. I think he's had to burr up his butt for a while about it. He wanted this done, and any way he could get it done, it just worked out. He got it done through the Saudis because they have more money than a show dog can jump over. And he went with them. But I think in the end, now that's just that's my bold prediction. I want to hear what Colby thinks of my bold prediction. Uh, I, I'll say I really don't know what's going to happen with Monahan. I really don't because um, if him and Yasir are buddies, then I don't know that it totally matters what the players think because those are the guys who have the power. I do think that Greg Norman – uh, I, I think it's been a good run for Greg Norman. I think that he is on his way out. I, I think his days are numbered. There just aren't enough people in the golf space, across the golf space, who like Greg Norman and, and want him in the room. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you on Greg Norman. I think his days are numbered. I think it, Greg Norman will last exactly as long as Liv lasts. If, if Liv plays another season, two more seasons, uh, however this deal comes together before they just come to one tour, I think that's how long Greg Norman will last, and then I think he'll be out. Yeah, I agree with you. I couldn't believe that Greg Norman came out a couple days after the merger announcement and said that we're running his business as usual. I, I do think it's interesting <laughs> that, that Yasser told Dustin Johnson that they're going to do a full schedule in 2024. I do think it's interesting that Rom live rumors are coming out right now. Like, what does that even mean in a time like this when they're thinking about merging together? Are there going to be separate contracts? Nobody knows. Um, but I do think that the only way that Norman and Monaghan both keep their job is if the DOJ ends up saying that they have to be two separate entities because I couldn't believe, Colby, that Jay Monahan came out in his press conference and said, quote, we eliminated a competitor, which is <laughs> literally what he was being accused of, you know, it being a monopoly as far as, you know, eliminating the competitor as far as trying to control the independent contractors that were golfers. But I couldn't believe he came out and said, we eliminated a competitor if they did have to stay two separate entities and then the PIF was just a an investor in both or whatever. I think that's the only way that both guys keep their job, in my opinion. And, and I think that yeah, I, and to, to finish that, I do think that I completely agree with you guys on Norman. I think he's done a good job, but he is divisive. I think I, if Liv did continue past Greg Norman, I think it would have to be a guy like Charles Howell or something like that, which everybody likes on both sides. Yeah, I like that. Somebody a little more just kind of neutral and friendly. Um, yeah, I, I think that Jay said what you said, which was really stupid. And I think Yasser said something really stupid. I think they each had one that I was like, why would you say that out loud? And for Jay, it was the eliminated competitor deal. And then for Yasser, you even saw in the, the letter that the Senate sent over that Yasser said whenever they were sitting there on CNBC that this is part of a vision that the Saudis have to continue to just get into the sports space. And, and I don't know if he actually said get into America or if it was just kind of implied because they're getting with the PGA Tour. But I'm looking at Jay Monahan and I'm like, why would you say that when there's going to be antitrust issues here? And then I'm looking at your theater and I'm like, maybe don't give out so much information of your plan here that's going to give people who want to shut this down the ammo to shut it down. Because if this ends up not happening now, I mean, if, if the DLJ shuts this down, whatever, for any reason this ends up not happening, imagine the chaos that will cause. If we think this is all coming to, together and then one day it's just kaput 
and we have to go back to the other stuff. And now everybody kind of knows the PGA Tour is running out of money. And, and they've got to find sponsors. That would be. I mean, then Live would hold all the leverage, right? Even in your opinion, because I mean, the players I, don't trust the PGA to, Tour, right? and now the public opinion is not on the side of the PGA Tour like it once was. Yeah, they, they they'd have to, right? Because if they have the money, and now it's come out that the PGA Tour can only last so long. I mean, yeah, at that point, I think that they would have the leverage. So um, I hope that that doesn't happen because I think that that would be bad for golf. I think it would lead to much more splitting of I golf. I think you'd maybe see some more high-level players go and stuff. And I think that what we can all agree is like, man, it, it sucks that DJ and Kepka and Cam Smith and, and Neiman and some of these guys, it sucks that we're not seeing them play against Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm and, and Rory and Xander and Cantlay and stuff, you know, 15 times a year. That sucks. So um, I, I want to get to a situation just purely speaking about the golf of it now. I want to get to a situation where the best players in the world are playing together 15 times a year because that is just so, so much more fun. Tita, final thoughts before we get into the U.S. Open. Final thoughts on this topic. Well, I just think that, Colby, there's just so many damn things that are unanswered. I mean, what is this new for-profit entity? How is that going to play out? How is the DP World Tour going to be involved in all of this? Uh, I, like Sam said earlier, I think it's, it was pretty shocking that you see told DJ there's going to be a 2024 live schedule so we can – probably assume that the PJ tour schedule probably won't be a whole lot different. How does this affect Tigers TGL deal? I mean, how does this affect world ranking points going forward? How is the PJ tour going to adopt? World tour? Team? <laughs> yeah. I mean, how is the team concept going to be adopted? I mean, Colby, just out of everything that's unanswered, what is the, the biggest question that you have? Um, yeah, we've kind of shifted to the golf aspect of it. So let's stay there. You mentioned the team aspect and they said when they rolled this out last Tuesday, that maybe that would kind of be part of it. I'm very curious how they would do that. I, I don't think it would be the way Liv is doing it, where they split into teams before the season and you play every event with your team. I think it's going, if they implement a team element, my guess is that it'll be some sort of team theory where you have, whether it's at designated events, non-designated events, you have a team series where there's like, I don't know, however many you want, four, six, eight, however many team events you want from January through the end of August. And then you figure it out, and maybe you have a team championship at the end of the year. So I don't think it'll be a full weekend, week out like Liv is. Uh, I think it might be more of a, a series that they incorporate into the season schedule. Yeah, I agree with you on that. But then there's the problem of the Liv guys, the captains hold equity in those teams, and they're obviously going to want to maximize the profits and you know have the team involved somehow with the biggest names involved, right? And so I don't, I don't know. Who knows? Uh, we could be talking for hours about the Liv and PGA Tour and DP World Tour merger. But Colby, let's transition since it is major championship week. We have you on every single major championship week. And the U.S. Open is at L.A. Country Club. I know that you've never been to L.A. Country Club, if I'm not mistaken, but what are your initial thoughts from what we've heard from not only players but on TV about L.A. Country Club uh, headed into this week? Yeah, my initial thoughts are that a 78-yard par 3 is everything I need in my life. The shots of this hole and the narrow little sliver of the 15th green I think they're only going to play it that short one day. I think they're going to play it that short on Saturday is my understanding. And that is going to be such an incredible, incredible golf hole. Um, other than that, it's probably a lot of the stuff other people have talked about. George Thomas, the, the designer, a lot of people are familiar with Riviera. So it's somewhat similar to that, but such vastly different grasses. 
We're talking about Bermuda, uh, tee boxes, fairways, rough, bent greens, whereas you've got the, the Poe and the Kikuya and all that stuff going on at Riv and a lot of these California courses. So um, I, I think that strokes gained luck was something that we talked about. And I'm not saying that the, the player who wins is just going to be the luckiest player. The best player will end up winning. But, guys, we're going to see a bunch of shots this week where some guy pipes it down the middle and you're watching on the pro tracer and he picks his tee up and it's like, that's a good one. And then it bounces off the side of the hill and nestles down in, in the rough. And then we're going to see some shots that are maybe leaking just a little bit and they catch the right side of one of those hills and they kick to the middle of the fairway. There's going to be a little bit of randomness to this golf course, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing. Golf is a little bit of a random game. Um, but e- either way, I am geeked to watch this tournament. I think LACC is going to shine. Um, they didn't put grandstands up around the 18th because the club insisted that the walk up the 18th be the, the clubhouse and the golf course. But, I mean, when has the U.S. Open ever been played without grandstands around the 18th in, in modern golf? It's going to be unique, and I think it's going to be awesome. Yeah, Colby, this course looks absolutely unbelievable. 7,500 yards. You mentioned the 78-yard par 3. There's also a 290-yard par 3 in there as well. And the sixth hole is a drivable par 4, and they say it may play shorter than the par 3 seventh hole will be. So there's a lot of uniqueness to it. But they've also mentioned, the course, will have some wider fairways, predicting not a whole lot of wind will happen. Do you think the scores will be relatively lower for a U.S. Open than we're used to? Uh, I do if there's no wind, yeah, because these guys are just so good at this level. And lately in major championships, weather has really been a factor the last couple years in major championships. And I'm looking forward to sunny and low winds for four days and let's just go out and not have to worry about weather draws, who gets lucky, who gets through by Mother Nature. Um, I do think that the score is going to be a little bit lower than typical. And I hope that the USGA just accepts that and is okay with it and they don't go full Shinnecock on us and, and ruin the golf course to try to protect par. Par is a concept. We just want to watch a good golf tournament. So I, I don't know that I'm going to predict the winner getting to double digits or anything, uh, but I do think this will be lower scoring than normal, and I hope that the USGA is okay with that because, um, yeah, it's the U.S. Open. You want it to be hard, but you don't want it to be just absolute chaos where it's not playable. I got to ask you, Woody, because you're the only one – of us four that has played at LA Country Club. And the thing I keep hearing from pretty much every player is when they first get on to LA Country Club and first get on the property, they're surprised at it being Bermuda fairways and rough and then bent grass greens, which you don't really see in that part of the country. Most of the time it's Poana greens or Kikuya grass. It, it, it's a completely different grass that these guys are playing on this week, right? It is. And it's, uh, you know, guys, that golf course is not very far from the ocean. It's not very far from Riviera, okay? It's uh, right down there in downtown L.A. off 405. The cool thing about L.A. North is if there is wind, it'll come off the ocean, and it'll come in the afternoon. It won't blow in the morning unless there's storms, and that's very unusual for that part of the world right there. Um, I'll say, Sam, the conditions of the golf course, this week, I didn't see anything like that when I played my golf tournament there. I didn't see rough this deep. But I, I did see the certain holes that Colby was explaining that will be interesting to watch. I'll tell you guys, that little 12th hole, it doesn't look like anything, but that hole's also going to bite them right in the bottom. I, I, I'm going to tell you, that, that hole, I would not be surprised 
number one will play the easiest on the golf course, in my opinion. I think they'll get off to a lot of birdies on number one. I I would think a stroke average will be less than 4.5 on number one. But you look at number 12, which is 370 yards, maybe 380 yards. I mean, it, it looks like a nothing hole. I'll bet you that will play higher than the one number one does. I bet the stroke average on 12 for that short of hole and what Colby was saying is what's the cool thing about the golf course. There's five par threes on this golf course, which is unusual. Par 70. So they're all different. You got 78, you got 300. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but the, the, I guess what more than anything about that LA North that I really enjoyed about it, it's a shot maker's course. You got to move the ball both ways and you got to really pay attention on where to put it on the greens because even though they got bent grass, it doesn't get that hot there in L.A. And like I said, they're close enough to the ocean. It stays pretty cool. They'll be able to get those greens fast, guys, and then firm. I mean, that, that golf course will probably turn a different shade of brown by the time it's over is what I'm guessing. So that my question to Colby as we approach this. I don't know that the USGA can screw this up, but if anybody can, they can. They've proven it. Time, time again. If there's one organization that can take a shining star and completely dip it in a can of manure, it's them. If you're the USGA, Colby, what do you think, what are you going to make sure they don't do to ruin this? Well, I, I think pin position, number one, that, that was part of the problem at Shinnecock. They got those greens. I mean, guys, so many of these courses that were built so long ago, so many like sections of these greens are not built to roll at a 14. Like a golf course that was built in the 1920s, the greens are not built and designed to roll at a 14. And I understand with redesigns and renovations, uh, a lot of those slopes have been softened at, at big golf courses across the world. And I'm sure there's been some of that at LACC too. So pin positions, uh, making sure that you don't have something crazy where, you know, you got a three footer and it misses the hole and you got a 16 footer coming back up the hill, something like that. Um, but other than that, it's really just on the green where I think that they can screw it up because the fairway stuff like that, that gets firm and fast. Okay, pick the right club. Make sure you can get it to sit down in fairways. But it, they could they can let it get away from them on the green. Um, so that's, that's what I would look for on the weekend and make sure that it doesn't get too crazy. Colby, other than the merger, what's the biggest storyline this week? Ooh, good question. Um, I think the biggest storyline this week other than the merger – Probably Brooks Ketka, right? I mean, Brooks has to is, be. He's back to looking like Brooks. Like he finished second at the Masters, um, and he, he even admitted, like, uh, took his foot off the gas. Took his foot off the gas on Sunday. He just he, he was playing not to lose. He wasn't going to win. He said, "I won't do that again." And I'll be damned if he didn't go out and win the next one. And I was actually talking about this to my my wife earlier at our earlier at our anniversary dinner because I'm a sicko. Um, he has built so much different between the years. And these other guys that he's playing golf against, um, and and these are great players, and they've got medal down the stretch too. But Brooks Kepka, he just lives for it, man. And and I wish that he would dedicate himself fully to golf and go out and try to win sixty tour events and and fifteen majors. Um, but he just wants to focus four times a year, and that's fine because four times a year he's the guy to beat when he's healthy. Uh, the only time in the last, what, six, seven years now where he hasn't been the guy to beat coming into a major championship is when he was injured. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, every 
every single major. These guys tee it up. He's the guy to beat, and somebody's got to go out and beat him. Trevino, Faldo, and Phil Mickelson if he wins this week. Yeah, and, and a guy right behind him, Colby Majors, Rory McIlroy, we were talking about his debacle on Sunday at the Memorial, and then what do you know, a week later, and deja vu, it happens again at the RBC Canadian Open. Does Rory have a chance in hell of winning this tournament? Uh, man, a, a chance in hell, yes, because when you're so talented, there are weeks when it just clicks, but I don't think Rory trusts his golf swing right now, and I think that that's evidence by the last few weeks. He gets himself into contention. He's he playing pretty good golf Thursday through Saturday, but then on Sunday, it's not there. He doesn't trust it. You can tell he's getting quick with it. You can tell he's laying it off still a little bit at the top. Four, I, I thought this past Sunday at Canada especially, and the wedge game, I mean, my God, I, I, I might never stop seeing the wedges that he had on five and seven at Memorial. It, it was the 95 yards on both of them, never even got close to hitting the green. Um, I don't think he fully trusts his golf swing right now, but I'll, I'll say this for Rory McIlroy. The slump that he's in right now where he's finishing top 10 but he can't win, that's a whole lot better than the slump that he was in two months ago. Now, there's a good point. Okay, now here's a, here's a group question for you guys, and we're, we're not going to do this to offend anybody in any way, shape, or form. So let's make this clear right off the bat. It's going to be a – the reason why I want this question is I'm going to give you an analogy. If you're going to play in Oklahoma City, where would be one of the hardest places to get on where would you feel the most uncomfortable and where would be the snootiest place in Oklahoma City you try to play golf? Mm, I mean, probably question. in Oklahoma City. Probably Oklahoma ahead, City. Sam. Probably, I mean, you okay, already yeah. said it, Oklahoma yeah. City. Yeah, I, mean, I think Oklahoma it's the Oklahoma City. City, City um, I don't, is, is Gloria snooty? I don't even know. I, I, I don't think snooty, really, no. snooty's not the right no, word. No, they're for, not, no. Snooty's not the right word for any club around Oklahoma City. We don't have clubs like exclusive like L.A. Country Club is. I mean, I saw something today that it was $500,000 initiation fees with, you know, ridiculous monthly fees and stuff like that with an interview yeah. process just to become a member. We don't have that here. No, and that that's true. It's hard to compare. But what I was going to try to do is have you guys pick what you would think is the, the hardest to get on, whatever. And Oklahoma City Golf Country Club would jump to most people's minds in Oklahoma City area. Well, it's not even close, Sam. That was my point. Guys, this place is the most exclusive beyond. I'm going to tell you just a, a couple things. There are no actors that are allowed to join. There are no athletes. They're allowed to join. In 1985, when I was a club pro out there in that area, there is another golf course there. There's a south course. There's not just L.A. North. There's L.A. South also, guys. There's 36 holes there. In 1985, there was a developer that went to that membership, which was over 1,000 people at the time, and offered every member at the club $1 million a piece for the South course. They weren't going to touch the North course, but they wanted to develop the South course. And they told them to go take a hike. Wow. <laughs> That's good. Now, that was a, now, that was a smart call. <laughs> now you think about that for a minute, how much moxie it takes. Cause a million dollars in 1985 guys was real money. It was real money. And there was a, Close to eleven hundred people. They were going to have to pay each one of them a million dollars 
just to get not they weren't going to take it all i think they wanted like 200 acres is all they wanted but anyway long story short that place is unbelievable but when you're there i mean you feel like you had eyes on you all the time all the time and what i was made that do you see them wearing shorts you're not allowed to wear shorts at la country club but when a U.S. opens there, you can, obviously. <laughs> but if if you guys went out there to play tomorrow after the tournament's over, you better have on a pair of slacks, and you better have a button-down shirt, and you best not have a hat on your head if you get anywhere near that clubhouse. <laughs> so, and there's still a croquet field right out there. I saw it. So <laughs> I think, Colby, what I wanted, what I think you're going to be amazed at is how good this golf course plays. I mean, again, I hadn't played in 35, 40 years, but it was one of those kinds of golf courses that it was just, you never forget it. It was that good. I'll be really curious to see what they shoot. You said earlier, do you think they're going to get to double digits? I, I don't remember. I thought you said you didn't think they get to double digits. What do you think there? Um, I, I didn't specify, but I, I don't think they will. I think it'll be somewhere in the, you know, Six, seven, eight, right? As good as they are, it wouldn't surprise me if maybe one guy got in double digits. But I, I think that golf course is going to hold its own. I really do. Colby, before we get into your picks here in just a second, do you think that because of the different grass that's not used in California, do you think that that disfavors some of the California boys? Or do you think that maybe the likes of a, a Ricky Fowler or Max Homa may have a chance to uh, win in their, uh, in their home state? Yeah, I, I don't know that I, I – certainly don't discount them for it. I think you're still comfortable in certain areas and certain places, and you're comfortable at home. I think for Homa specifically, less so for Ricky, but I think for Homa specifically, the pressure on him this week, I, I just, I really think it's too much. Like for a guy especially who I don't think has the full belief in himself at major championships, because he talked in his career about having to overcome confidence issues, and he didn't really think that he was one of the best players in the world until he finally started beating the best players in the world. And he hasn't done that in majors. He hasn't contended at majors. I'm, I'm not discounting California guys in general, but I think I am on the Max Homa fade this week. And I think it's just because the amount of pressure on him to perform at that golf course is just overwhelming. I think you make a bunch of good points there, Colby. But at the same time, if he somehow does keep those thoughts out of his head, just golf-wise, he does have the course record shot of 61 in the 2013 Pac-12 championship there. Uh, So definitely interesting, right? Because he doesn't have a good U.S. Open record, but he loves L.A. and he definitely loves this golf course as well. So that brings us, Colby, to your picks. We'll give our picks later Taylor, Woody, and myself will give our picks later. But, Colby, who are you going with this week? Please give me your one, two, three, and a dark horse. All right. So, the gap from the top three players in the world to everyone else is, I think, pretty significant right now. So, um, I'm just going to leave Scheffler, Rom, and Brooks out of it. If if I was ranking those three, I'd probably go Brooks, Rom, Scheffler. I like Rom a little bit more than Scheffler. Plays Kapalua well, plays Augusta well. There's going to be a lot of side hill lies on this golf course. Uh, but I'm throwing those guys out. My number one, I'm going to go Xander Shoffley. 
I think Xander, he's got a good U.S. Open record. Um, also, for whatever reason, I just I really like losing money on Xander Schauffele. It's like a hobby of mine. I keep thinking he's going to show up at one of these and finally get it done, and he keeps not doing it. But I, he's right there, man. He's right there. Uh, he plays Capilouto well. He plays Augusta well. He likes courses where the ball's above your feet, below your feet. So I'll go Xander one. I'm going to go a little bit out on a limb with number two. And I, I think that maybe I like this guy in a lot of my pools because I think his ownership is going to be down. I'm going to go with Mr. Backspasms himself. I think Colin Morikawa, he's had a ton of success out on the West Coast. Again, different grasses, all that stuff. But Colin Morikawa, for a guy to get it done, he's close, man. He's been close for a while. So I'm going to go Colin Morikawa as my number two. Risky. Number are you going one? And, a, by the way, are you going one and done with Morikawa? That's risky with the backspasms. No, no, I don't think so. I don't think I'm going one and done uh, with Morikawa because I've got I've got some guys. I've got some dogs. So I'm, I'm going to see who I'm running okay. out this week. I, I'll probably I'll, I probably won't even finalize those until I wake up Thursday morning, maybe Wednesday night. Um, make sure to make your picks, Kobe. You didn't do it last week, like Sam. Oh, <laughs> dude, I'm so mad. I, I woke up Thursday morning and I went to check, and uh, I had it open on my computer the day before, and I just never went and did it. Um, but anyway, and then my number three guys, I'm going to go Cam Smith at three. I, I say that with just a little bit of hesitation because I don't know if he can get off the tee well enough to allow himself to be Mr. Creative Wizard Artist Cam Smith. But if he can, we're talking about runoff areas, we're talking about tight lies, we're talking about creativity all over the golf course. And with some of these wider fairways and a little bit of randomness being, being introduced with some of the slopes, if Cam Smith can just do enough, even just the field average, and throw Kane off the tee, I think he's going to be right up there toward the end of the weekend. Uh, my dark horse guys, I love this guy. I love him at the Masters. He's been playing good golf all year. He's won this year. Give me an older guy. How about Justin Rose? I, I mean, are we just – are we keeping to have young guys win all these golf tournaments? Or is an older guy going to sneak up and get one at some point? He's a veteran. He's been in a lot of these championships. He's won a U.S. Open. He understands the patience and the mindset required to play these events. So um, I, I've been locked in on Justin Rose for a while here. I've got ownership in him just about everywhere. Colby, I love your picks. Uh, I don't know if that's good or bad for you, <laughs> but I absolutely <laughs> love your picks there. Um, any final thoughts on the U.S. Open this week? I know we've covered quite a bit with obviously the craziness that happened last week and then heading right into a major championship. Anything else you want to talk about from this week before you get out of here? Man, I love the U.S. Open. It, it is chaotic sometimes. It is random sometimes. They do screw it up sometimes. But that makes it one hell of an entertainment product, doesn't it? Because you, you kind of turn on. And these other events, they're great. They're awesome. I love them, too. I, I probably wouldn't even have the U.S. Open at one. If I ranked them, I, hell, I might have it at four. I don't even know off the top of my head. But the, the randomness that is the U.S. Open makes it an incredible entertainment product. Uh, I'm going to have the three TV set up going. I work until 1 a.m. every night. Uh, so my sleep schedule is going to be a little off with the baby, but I'm going to have the three TV set up going, and I'm just going to overdose on U.S. Open. Beautiful stuff. That's the Golf Channel's Colby Powell joining us right here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Colby, thank you again. Yes, sir. Love you, boys. Keep up the great work. Big, big thank you again to our man, Colby Powell, who joins us every single major week. Definitely make sure to go look at the great work that he does on thegolfchannel.com. He is the editor for thegolfchannel.com. Fellas, let's dive into some of these favorites for the week. T-Dub, I ask you this question every single week. 
does the winner come out of our top five? And the top five for this year's U.S. Open are Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, Xander Shoffley, and Patrick Cantlay, according to Data Golf Analytics. Those are your top five Data Golf favorites for this year's U.S. Open. Does the winner come out of those five guys? This is this week. It's a good question because those, especially the top two, Scheffler and Rom, have to be clear favorites. Then you get Shoffley's record in the U.S. Open. I mean, I believe in seven appearances, six appearances. Trying to get the load right here, and six appearances. His worst finish is 14th place. He has a seventh, a fifth, a third, a sixth, and a fifth. So I really like his chances, but it's just such an open tournament, Woody. I think that it's going to be. There's a lot of players that are outside. You got Hovland, you got Kepka, uh, Speeds on there. I'm not sure how much I like his chances, but the analytics like him at least. You got Fee now. Even a guy that high on Ricky Fowler, which I mean, he has absolutely zero chance to win this tournament, but the analytics like him to have a high finish at least. So I don't know, Woody. I think that for some reason, I feel like this is a pretty open tournament this year. Yeah, that that five. I, I don't think the winners in that five. I, I really don't. Even though. Um, those five are strong, but I, I don't know how you don't have Kepka in that top five, especially over Cantley. What has Cantley ever done in a major championship? And you're leaving a guy that just won the PGA out? Now, Woody, you uh, got to remember that the analytics are – these data golf analytics are really docking Brooks Kepka for strength of field where, you know – Cantlay's been playing on the PGA Tour all year and has some solid finishes. That's where you kind of got to weed through the BS when you look at analytics. Yeah, that's past BS. That's just, come on, man. That, that's, a, that's, that's an ESPN, come on, man. I understand the analytics and all that, but I still, the guy just won the PGA, and if he's second at the Masters, and he gave it away. He'd tell you he did. So, but. Having said that, that's why I, I don't believe the winner's coming out of that top five because the guy I'm picking this week's not in that top five. So uh, um, we'll, we'll see. I, I You know, I, I just look forward to watching a little of this golf tournament just to see how that golf course plays. The memories, well, I've killed a lot of brain cells over the years since I played it, but I think they'll come flooding back to me. I really do. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching a U.S. Open, which in the past few years, guys, that. U.S. Open just haven't done much for me. Fellas, my winner is in that top five, but we'll get to that in a second. I want to bring up a couple of statistics that I think are important this week. Number one, I think that strokes gained approach, I don't care if there are wider fairways this week at L.A. Country Club. I don't care if it's Bermuda grass or whatever kind of grass there is. I think that strokes gained approach will tell you who the best players are to pick for a U.S. Open. And right now, your top five in strokes gained approach are very similar to your top five favorites for this week, according to Data Golf. Your strokes gained approach top five right now are Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm, Colin Morikawa, Xander Shoffley, and Patrick Cantlay. Then you have Tony Finau and Victor Hovland very close behind. I think that that stat is going to be really important this week, and I also think that par three scoring average is going to be important. Five par threes on this golf course, which you don't see very often at all on the PGA Tour. John Rahm and Max Homa are actually your top two guys in par three scoring average so far this year on the PGA Tour. Ricky Fowler is number three on that par three scoring average list. Just a few stats for you guys. 
Yeah, and another reason that the that the uh, approach game will matter so much in those par threes is that they're at such different lengths as we talked about with Kobe. You're going to have a 78-yard one one day. You're going to have a 290-yard one in there as well. And just the diversity of the holes, I think this course, I know obviously Willie's played it, but at least from what I've seen, it just looks, looks awesome. I think it's going to be a great test of golf. I think the scores will probably be right around what you're saying. But, yes, the approach is going to matter so much. And just some of the guys, as you mentioned, up there, Scheffler is by far the best iron player in the world right now. I mean, and whenever you look at uh, Brooks Kepka and how he's done in the majors, you definitely have to throw him up there. The analytics won't say that he's that high, but I definitely think that his iron play is up there. Then you have the likes of Raw Moore, Coward, and he's hurt, so you have to look at that aspect of Woody's favorite, Patrick Cantlay, is up there as well. Even like the likes of Amito Pereira is up there, so maybe he's a dark horse guy, or Russell Henley's another dark horse type guy in there. But Ricky Fowler, Woody, again, popping up there on the approach. I mean, I can Brought it up earlier. I think he has zero chance to win this damn tournament. But what what do you say? Do you think Ricky could potentially get it done? Okay, here we go again. But now this time, Sam, you ready? And I'm, I I know we're not picking yet, but I'm going <laughs> to pick my dark horse, and it's going to be Ricky Fowler's my dark horse because Sam, if by some miracle, some miracle, Ricky Fowler could not only win a golf tournament, which we said he's going to, but win the U.S. Open especially after T-Dub, it just, just you know, give me nothing but a crash and a crap. You know what? Holly my ass. That'd be a jolly holly. I'd win everything then if That's I pull right. that out, right? That's exactly okay. right. I mean, we were the only two guys on this podcast, Woody, to pick Ricky Fowler to win a tournament this year, and he's trending in, yeah. the, in a great direction. He's trending in the right direction, but I don't even think that's the strong enough phrase for how good Ricky Fowler has played compared to the last couple of years. If he were to top it all off and win a major championship, that would be oh a story to top all stories. As much stuff as I talked on Ricky, I would love to see it. I truly would. I would love to see him win this week. I just don't think there's a chance in hell that it happens. <laughs> well, that's why they're called the Dark Horse. That's okay? right. And it, I he, he is the really... 45th ranked player in the world, so that does fit the uh, the criteria. He is the 13th ranked analytically player, so to make y'all's point about how much he has been trending in the upward direction. <laughs> you know what? If Ricky Fowler was the 10th ranked player in the world, you'd still give him right now to me just because you want to give me grief. 100%. He could be the number yeah, one player in the world, Woody, but especially with the joke of the world ranking points are. Well, he could be. You're right. Never thought of that. Yeah. So I didn't mean to be a spoiler, though, but that's my dark horse. I'll tell you my others when we get around to it. But I'm going with Ricky to play really good. I know it'd be the longest of long shots for him to win, but, boy, that'd be special. That'd be a pretty cool win for him. At least the analytics think that Ricky Fowler is going to play some really solid golf this week. But, guys, I want to talk about the guy at the top, and we've mentioned him, but Scotty Scheffler is on an unbelievable stretch of weird golf, okay? He's the best ball striker in the world, one of the best drivers of the golf ball, and the best iron player in the world. And here's my trivia question to you two. Can you guys tell me what he ranks on data golf as far as his putting stats go? Oh, gosh. Uh, very close to 125th or something like that. And I'll put it this way. Scotty Scheffler wishes he was ranked 125th in putting on data golf. Yeah. Uh, then I'm going to say 169th. Go ahead, Woody. I, I was, I was going to go at 152. 234th in putting stats oh. so far this year on oh. all tournaments. This includes live guys, and this includes 
PGA Tour guys on Data Golf. Scotty Scheffler this year ranks 234th strokes gained putting, T-Dub. It's absolutely unbelievable. And to make your point, he leads he leads the off the tee by .2 shots over Roy McIlroy, and he leads uh, the strokes gained approach by .4 over John Rum. So he's point six over uh, ball striking above everyone else. That's absolutely crazy how good he has been playing. And then you look at his short game as well. Out of everyone who's ranked analytically, he's the sixth in strokes gained around the green. So literally, if he could putt Woody, he would be one of the he would be on an even more miraculous tear than he is right now, which is pretty crazy to say because you look at his recent finishes, it's been absolutely insane. Third, third, second, fifth, 11th, 10th, fourth win, fourth, 12th win. I mean, Woody, it's, if he could putt, he would, he would have six wins. Have you ever seen anything <laughs> like this, Woody? No, I haven't, but, you know, that's what we were talking about. If the Pilgrims had seen a cat before they saw a turkey, you remember that now. You remember my little saying <laughs> now. So, uh, guys, he can't keep um, – putting as bad as he's putting. Now, I will give a little defense to him. He's hitting so many greens, guys, that he's not getting the ball up and down because he doesn't have to. He's just two-putting a lot, okay? So he is doing a lot of things so well that if he can just catch a little bit of fire, you know who he reminds me of a little bit right now, but he's way too young? Who's that? Ben Hogan. Ben Hogan. Guys, it was not unusual in his later in his career where he would hit every fairway and every green, and he'd shoot one under, or he'd shoot even par. He he just was the worst putter you've ever seen. I don't think Scotty Scheffler is a bad putter. I think he's on a little bit of a downward trail, obviously, at 200 and whatever you said. 34. But it, <laughs> yeah, at some point, at some point, guys, that mule is going to turn around and go and find water. He, he, he's going to be okay, okay? If he's ball striking as good as he is, I just feel sorry for all the other guys. And uh, who knows? It might be this week, gentlemen. We when don't T-Dub, know, but... Here, here's the problem is when I'm trying to prognosticate, do I pick Scotty Scheffler this week? Is it a good thing that he's been struggling so much with the putting? Is he? Does that mean that on a course as hard as this, that the ball striking is going to save him? Or does that mean that the ball striking numbers will be a little bit down because the course is so hard at a U.S. Open venue that the putting is going to be even more amplified and we're going to see how bad it actually is? You have to just think that the putting will, will turn around again at some point. It, it, it just hasn't happened in uh, quite a while. He, he, the last time he gained, he gained to the PGA Championship which was a miracle, but he did finish T2 there behind Brooks Kepka. But then going back, he gained a little bit of strokes at the players where he won by five, but he just barely a little bit, but he hit the ball so well, he just absolutely dominated. The last time that he gained a really substantial amount of shots was when he won at the Waste Management Phoenix Open. That's where he gained more than a shot on the greens at that tournament. But the last time, I'm trying to find, the last time he lost strokes gained approach was at the FedEx Stage Classic last year in August, and he has not lost strokes gained off the tee in his last 25 starts. I really have to scroll quite a ways back to – I'm going to have to go all the way back to the PJ Championship last year at Southern Hills to find the last time that Scotty Sheffer lost strokes gained off the tee. So he, he's just so tremendous of a ball striker that you have to think that the floor of his game is so high. So I would be absolutely astonished if Scotty Scheffler is not in the top uh, – 
I would be astonished he's not in the top 15 this tournament. I highly think that he'll be in the top 10 and more than likely top five. And if he can just make one or two putts, then he can just exceptionally win this tournament. But that is an extreme question mark at this point. Guys, until today when he entered the media center and did his pre-tournament press conference, I feel like John Rahm has been the least talked about Masters winner headed into a U.S. Open that we have seen in years just because of everything that happened last week. He's gone a little bit under the radar with Brooks Kepka winning the PGA. I feel like he is the Masters champion. He has the green jacket right now, but he's going a little bit under the radar. Even Scotty Scheffler being the world number one, I feel like this is a perfect opportunity for John Rahm to say, Guys, I am still the best player in the world in my mind. What do you think about that, T-Dub? I think this is a great opportunity for John Rahm. I think this is a course that sets up very well from what I'm seeing. As we mentioned earlier, the stroke scan approach going to hit a, a wide diversity of shots, and that's something that he definitely has in his repertoire. There's a lot of holes that seem to set up for a fade, and he obviously is very pertinent with that club and, uh, and with, with his driver, at least off the tee. And so I think there'll be some times he can take advantage. And then, also, too, it's a 7,500-yard course at sea level. So there's going to be – distance is going to be fairly paramount at this course, and John Rome is not short by any stretch of the imagination. So to go along with the the approach game, Woody, I feel like some distance is going to be pretty paramount at this course. You know, Rom Rom wouldn't scare me as a pick, but, I, you know, the crazy about John Rom is it's feast or famine, it seems like. Um, which guy's here this week? And usually the guy that's kind of mistreated, like you were saying, Sam, that's the guy I like to watch. He's the one to be careful of because he gets a little chip on his shoulder. And I think you're kind of right on the mark with this because nobody's really said much about him. They, they talk about all these California guys, how good Scotty Scheffler's hitting it. Uh, but Rom's kind of flying under the radar. And when he does that, he, he gets a little irritated, and he usually puts a pretty good week. So, in my mind, I haven't made my three picks yet, but he's right there knocking on the door. What do you say he's kind of feast or famine? Let's not forget that he's won six times around the world this year. He has a tied for fourth also. He has a solo third. He has a solo second in there as well, and a couple other top 15s. I mean, the guy has played some of the most consistent golf on the PGA Tour. I think that a lot of people are just, you know, have those goggles on that they saw him finish tied for 50th at the PGA and then tied for 16th at the Memorial, and all of a sudden they stopped talking about John Rahm. I am going to make my picks here in a second, but I I think he's going to play great this yeah. week. I know you like him, and, and feast or famine, that might be a big word. I get where you're coming with that, Sam. He, he was on a tear, and he's he's like Scheffler. None of these guys are bad. I just, I don't know. There's sometimes when you watch Rom play golf, at least me, it just doesn't seem like he's all that motivated. He doesn't seem like he's in the moment. Then other times, he just looks like a world beater, like you couldn't beat him on your best day. So, I don't know. Maybe it's just his quirky little uh, uh, Spanish, you know, temperament that I, I see that I go, well, what's wrong with him today? I don't know. T-Dub, what can we expect out of Victor Hovland this week after getting his first 
PGA Tour win in the continental United States at the Memorial a couple weeks ago. He's played really consistent golf so far this year. In his last 24 events, he hasn't missed a cut. I mean, we saw him finish tied for second at the PGA Championship, finished tied for seventh at the Masters, and that was about as worse as he could have possibly finished that week. He's played great in the major championships. What do we expect out of Victor Hovland this week? I think he's going to have a fairly solid week. Is he going to be my pick to win the tournament? No, I think that the long rough around the greens, I think, will be a hindrance for his around the green game. There was a video, I think Shane Lowry was the one that videoed of him hacking it out, and the ball went about two feet. But there's going to be a lot of people that does it too this week. That's just a consequence of hitting it there. You look at his record in the U.S. Open. He's played, he's played it technically four times. He finished 12th and 13th the first two years, 2019 and 2020. 2021, at Tory had a withdraw. I think it was an eye issue or something like that that he had to deal with, and then he missed the cut last year in 2022. But, uh, no, I think this course sets up very well for him. We mentioned the par threes in the approach game. That's where he definitely excels at off the tee as well. He's going to put the ball in play. And you look at the last three events, what he's gained, strokes gained on the greens, more than three-fourths of a shot. So if he can keep putting good like that along with the off the tee game, I, I think that he'll he'll have a high finish. But I think at the end of the day, He'll, he'll get in too many situations around the greens, and that'll what just hold him back those uh, shots or two he needs to win. Yeah, that rough is going to be vicious, uh, but it'll be vicious for everybody. Um, I think that was a huge hurdle, guys, for that win at Memorial. This week, picking a guy to win the U.S. Open, this is tough, gentlemen. This is really tough because I think there's 15, 20 guys that I'm looking at at my – stats here that I'm looking at these names that could win this golf tournament and then sure as heck as I pick one of them somebody from I'm not looking at so I think Victor Hoblin is going to have a really good week whether he wins or not I don't know but I think he's going to be right there again is what I think fellas I got two more hypothetical questions for you and then we'll get to our picks number one T-Dub my question to you is who is the top California guy on Sunday afternoon? Is it Patrick Cantlay, or is it Colin Morikawa, or is it Xander Shoffley, or maybe even a Ricky Fowler, or a Max Homa? Who is the top California guy on that leaderboard when we get to Sunday afternoon? Well, I got two Californians for my one-and-done pick, so hopefully they, they, they hopefully prevail both one and two. That would be absolutely exceptional. But out of all those, I'd probably pick Xander Shoffley. We've talked about how he doesn't have the, the minerals down the stretch. We obviously saw it when he played Wyndham Clark at the Wells Fargo. Felt like he could have went and took an opportunity there, wasn't able to do it. But he's been putting so well as of recent. He hasn't lost strokes gained on the green since the time that he had to withdraw at the Century Tournament Champions. So that was really only one round. So he had to go all the way back to last year for these lost strokes gained putting. And then uh, his approach game, he hasn't lost strokes gained approach since the exact same time period. So he's just been playing so exceptionally well with the irons in the putting. I think that's going to really help him as well. Then the U.S. Open record speaks for itself. 14th, 7th, 5th, 3rd, 6th, and 5th. Has not finished worse than 14th in 6 appearances. So, Or, yes, in 6 appearances. So, yes, I, I think Shoffley, out of all the, the Californians, Woody, I think he would be my pick. Yeah, that's hard not to go with him. I, I would tell you guys, I think it's going to be Morikawa. Now, I know I'm taking a real shot there because of his back issues. Like, he could be out just as quick as he went in the golf tournament. But I think he will be the low Californian, even though I, I'm picking Ricky as my dark course. I don't think of Ricky as a Californian. I, I know he grew up there as a kid, but from the time he left there, 
he came to Oklahoma and went to Oklahoma State, and then he's been in Florida. So I don't really look at him as a Californian. Sorry, but I don't. Hey, if Colin Morikawa was not injured, I guarantee you he would be in my top three picks. He still might be. Stay tuned and see. But, I mean, if you look at the par three scoring average, five par threes on this golf course, he ranks 10th on the PGA Tour in par three scoring average. That's really good. And then I mentioned earlier that he's third in strokes gained approach. I just wish he was healthy headed into this event. I have to agree with T-Dub that I think, that Xander Shoffley probably has the best chance to be the top Californian this week at the U.S. Open. Uh, T-Dub, that brings me to my next question is, who do you think the top live player is going to be this week at the U.S. Open? This one, I don't even think is much of a question. I think it's got to be Brooks Kepka because I think that he has the best chance to win this tournament. Woody, so un- undoubtedly, I got to go Kepka. I can't disagree with you there. I got to go Kepka too. I think... I think DJ might have a good week. Uh, he might surprise us, but I don't know how anybody bets against Kepka, really. I mean, look, the, the record speaks for itself. That's all we got to say. I knew both of you guys were going to go with Kepka as the top live player. I feel like most of the country definitely would. Um, there's two live guys that I think are going to finish ahead of Brooks Kepka this week at the U.S. Open, and I was really high on Brooks Kepka headed into the PGA. I picked him to win the golf tournament, and guess what he did? He won the golf tournament. I just think that the high of winning a major championship and then having to go home, have the bender, party with the friends, and then have to lock back in, I think that's just tough to do sometimes, even if you are Brooks Kepka on the very next major after winning the PGA Championship. So I'm looking toward... Cam Smith this week. I really like Cam Smith's chances to finish in the top five, I would say, uh, this week at the U.S. Open. Uh, If you look at his recent finishes, I mean, he finished top 10 at the PGA Championship. He finished second in Tulsa, lost in the playoff to Dustin Johnson, finished solo 11th at D.C. And guys, I I think he was even playing better golf than that solo 11th finish in D.C., When you look at Cam Smith, you can never count him out because he is the best putter, and it's the widest fairways we've seen at a U.S. Open. And I heard an interesting quote from Cam Smith this week. He said that he feels more comfortable with the driver this week, and this could just be, you know, ear salad for us headed into uh, a major championship, which we hear a lot from players sometimes, you know, with false confidence. But I believed him when he said that he feels more confident with the driver this week than he's felt headed into any major in recent memory for him. So I think that that's very, very intriguing when you hear Cam Smith start talking about his driver with that much confidence. I also, guys, I really like Dustin Johnson to have a great finish this week. Top 10 bet is my best bet of the week for Dustin Johnson. People forgot that he was playing elite golf when he won at Live Tulsa. Now, he finished tied for 55th at the PGA Championship, but that doesn't tell the full story. He was playing some really solid golf, got in some trouble in the second round, and never really recovered. Um, And then he finished 27th at Live DC that no player cared about anyway since it was the week after the PGA Championship. So, guys, I think that a former U.S. Open champion will kind of lock back in, and he's probably motivated after seeing what Brooks did at the PGA. Uh, Maybe I'm off base with this, but I I think that Cam Smith and Dustin Johnson both finish ahead of Brooks Kepka this week, T-Dub. 
Well, the thing I'm worried about with Cam Smith is you look at his U.S. Open record. He finished T4 at his first U.S. Open in 2015 at Chambers Bay. But since then, 59th missed cut, 72nd, 38th missed cut, missed cut. That's right. The game just does not suit up well for the U.S. Open. I will say there have been a lot of comparisons to Australia golf courses to LACC. So, and, and I, I can see a little bit of resemblance to that, but a lot of players are saying that too. So maybe it'll play like that as well. So I will say this, but with Cam Smith's second best finish in the U.S. Open being T38, I'd be highly shocked if he doesn't surpass that. So the T4 will be the question if he can beat that. Dustin Johnson? I tend to agree with you. I think he's going to have a pretty good week as well. You look at his U.S. Open record, obviously the win in 2016 at Oakmont, but then he had, had the right before that, Chambers Bay, we're talking about with Cam Smith. He finished second. He had the three-putt on 18 there. He finished third at Shinnecock in 2018. There's been a little bit of talk that it's uh, at least around the greens and areas like that. It's similar to that. I'm not sure to that extent, but n- nothing like Shinnecock. But still, his track record U.S. Open speaks for itself. So, yes, I think that he'll have a good week. One live guy, Woody, that we hadn't talked about, I think is going to have a good week, is Patrick Reed. He has a, a terrific game for U.S. Open. He can get up and down from anywhere. He had a fourth-place finish back in 2018 at Shinnecock as well. And then he's had a 13th, a 19th, a 14th, a 13th in there as well. So he's always right around that top 15, top 20 mark. So watch out for Patrick Cantlay. Even though this course traditionally for U.S. Open isn't up to his style, I just feel like that he has a game, especially around the greens, that he's he's not he's not going to win the tournament, but I feel like he's going to be farting around that top ten one. Patrick Reed, Patrick well, Reed, right? Yeah, yeah. Patrick Reed. Hey, now here's the thing: what we could ask ourselves, okay, the first two majors of years, live guys played pretty good, guys. So, are we going to have a top five finisher this week, or are we going to have two or three guys in the top ten off of live? What do y'all think? And I think it's close. Let's go ahead and make our picks before we do that. Uh, before we make our picks, Woody. I do want to bring up one last guy, Terrell Hatton. Let's not sleep on Terrell Hatton now that he's healthy again. Um, He's not going to be in any of my picks, but tied for third, tied for 12th, tied for 15th, 5th, 3rd, 19th in his last six events. I think that that's going to be interesting as well. Woody, I didn't mean to poo-poo your question, but that's going to give that's going to give it away when I give my picks if uh, if I answer your question. So, T-Dub, I will let you do the honors – and let you go ahead and give me your top three and a dark horse for the 2023 U.S. Open at L.A. Country Club. All right, I'll try to diversify my picks here a little bit because I'm going with Xander Schauffele and Max Homa, the two California boys, in the one-and-done pool, so I will not take them in my top three here. Uh, to, to win the tournament, I think Bruce Koepka is going to get it done. I feel like that he's going to get his sixth a major championship and join a lucrative group. I just feel like that he's on a mega run right now. And and maybe he won't win the tournament, but he's at least going to be up there. And I feel like that he has the best chance of contending. I feel like this is a really good course that sets up well for him. So I, I'm definitely going to go along that route. Uh, my second pick, I'm going to go with the no putting Scotty Scheffler. I feel like that his uh, ball striking is going to be very superb. And it's going to keep him in the top five, top 10, but the putter will hold him back at the end of the day, in my opinion. But there is the off chance that he does potentially make a putt in there. And uh, and then he'll win the tournament by a lot. And then the, the odds of that, as we've seen lately, are pretty slim, but it may happen, and hopefully it does for anyone that wants to pick him along that route. Uh, some other guys, I mean, I thought about picking uh, Victor Hovland, as we mentioned, but they're around the greens. I feel like we'll hold him back. Patrick Cantley, we've talked about. I don't. I just don't trust him in a major yet, or as what he's alluded to, and I've talked about the exact same things. Kind of a, a, a down the pick guy, but I feel like he's going to play really good for whatever reason. 
is Hideki Matsuyama. I, I, I really like his chances. He tends to be trending in the right direction as well. Looked like he was playing really good golf at the Memorial, finished 16th there, had a, a bad third round. But then really has not played bad golf, going all the way back to the Arnold Palmer's, made every cut in there in his game, strokes gained approach his last five weeks. So he's playing some solid golf. I really like his chances. And then a uh, of my dark horse guy is a, a – I should go with Dustin Johnson since he's the 90th ranked player in the world. That would be the, the trendy thing to do. But I'm going to go ahead and not cheat the system that bad. How about another live guy? Give me Mito Pereira. 56th ranked player in the world, but as a uh, top 10 guy, ball striking, as we alluded to in an earlier segment, 27th ranked player analytically. A guy that you can get for 7,200 on DraftKings. I really like that value this week. So that uh, that rounds out my picks there, Woody. Yeah, see, I think these are going to be interesting picks from all of us this week because I I think it's a crapshoot, but I'll give you my three guys. I'm going to go with Victor Hovland to win this U.S. Open. Now, that might be a little bold, like you said, with chipping the way it's going to be, but I just don't think people realize once you get that hurdle of getting over that first win that he got on U.S. soil that everybody would say, well, he can't win, but over in Puerto Rico, wherever, he's played a lot of good majors. He hadn't finished any of them yet, so I'm thinking this is his week. If he doesn't, I think Scotty Scheffler's going to win it because I think the number two pick, for me, Scotty Scheffler, because he can't keep putting that bad, and I know he's not going to lose his golf swing. My third pick is Kepka. There's another guy I think that is on a roll, and I'm, I, I say him, I get it, but he's partied a little bit before in his life, so I think he can refocus. He's proven to me that he can go and twist off and then come back and play pretty good golf. And then my dark horse was Ricky Fowler, simply because I'm going to keep pulling for Ricky till he gets that win. Fellas, I am going to go with John Rahm to win the golf tournament. Sometimes it's not that confusing. You should just go with the chalk. And I think that John Rahm, out of those top two guys on the PGA Tour, I think that John Rahm has the better chance between him and Scotty Scheffler this week. I just laid out my reasons why I'm skeptical of how Brooks Kepka might play this week just after, you know, having the hangover quite literally after winning uh, the PGA Championship. John Rahm has something to prove this week, and I think that that's crazy to say after he won the Masters, but it's one of those rare occasions where a Masters champion is very much so under the radar headed into the U.S. Open, and I think that John Rahm gets it done on Sunday afternoon. My second pick is Xander Shoffley. The guy hasn't missed a cut since Vietnam, guys. He's unbelievably consistent playing in his home state of California. Like you said, the putting stats are just too good to ignore T-Dub. He hasn't lost shots on the green since the century. It's unbelievable how consistent Xander Shoffley has been. And I think out of the California guys, I really, really like Xander Shoffley to contend to win this tournament this week. And then my third pick, I have waffled on, fellas. I had Morikawa in there, but I don't trust if the back is going to be healthy. As my third pick, I I had Homa in there. But I think sometimes with a guy like Max Homa, I tend to agree with what Colby said earlier that he hasn't proven to me that he has that killer instinct to just ignore all of the distractions that go on when you're playing a major championship in your home city. It's different than just Riviera every single year. So I'm throwing Max Homa out. Um, That leaves me with Scotty Scheffler and Victor Hovland. 
And fellas, I agree with what Woody just said. I think that the hurdle of him winning the first PGA Tour event in the continental United States, really the first big PGA Tour event that Victor Hovland has won, I think that's a big deal, him winning at the Memorial. Similar grass to what he played in in this part of the country. I know that Zoysia is what Karsten Creek has, but pretty much every other course that he played here in Oklahoma has Bermuda grass that's very similar to what he will see at this year's U.S. Open. So guys, I'm going with Victor Hovland as my third pick. The putting just worries me with Scotty Scheffler at a U.S. Open. If he gets in a little bit of trouble, the ball striking is not going to save Scotty Scheffler like it has in you know regular PGA Tour events. The putting is going to be crucial this week at the U.S. Open, and Scotty Scheffler's putting stats definitely worry me headed into this week. And then my dark horse, fellas, I'm going Dustin Johnson. The guy's won a U.S. Open before, and it's one of those times where I feel like a lot of people forgot the elite golf that he did play at Live Tulsa. And I, I think that Dustin Johnson is just due to have a really good major, fellas. I, I guess that's just a gut feeling of mine going with Dustin Johnson as my dark horse. So my picks are John Rahm, Xander Shoffley, Victor Hovland, and Dustin Johnson. T-Dub, please give your picks one more time for the listeners. I picked uh, Brooks Kepka, then with Scotty Scheffler. I really like Hideki Matsuyama. Probably should throw John Rahm in there because I agree with you, Sam. I feel like that he's going to have a great tournament. So I don't, and very well could win the tournament if he gets everything going. I, I just like a few other guys more than him. And then my dark horse was Mito Pereira. I went with Hopland to win. I then went with Scotty Scheffler because I think he's going to make some putts. Then I went with Kepka because he's just good. And then I went with Ricky Fowler because I just hope. There you go. Sometimes you just got to hope. Uh, fellas, any final thoughts, T-Dub, on LA Country Club, the U.S. Open being there for the first time? Any final thoughts on some players we might not have touched on before we get out of here? Well, one thing I want to bring up is that what we kind of hinted at earlier with George Thomas being the designer. He designed Riviera and Bel Air Country Club as well. Of course, that's really great that not many people talk about. And so it's it's super cool that we're actually getting to see a U.S. Open at this course. There's not been hardly any USGA events held there at all. I think this is the fourth one and the first one since, uh, I think they had the Walker Cup there in 2017. But besides that, they haven't had an event there since the 50s. Woody had mentioned the exclusivity of it. I mean, this place just looks absolutely insane. Woody got to play it. I'm pretty jealous of him in all honesty. At this point in my life, I don't really want to play that many golf courses, but this is one that I do want to play. Um, before I hit the grave, it looks like an absolutely unbelievable play. Such a great diversity of holes as well. And we were talking about it earlier. I feel like this is, is a pretty open U.S. Open, no pun intended there. But there are a lot of players, I feel like, that could win this tournament. You scroll down and you just see, like even like Max Homa, the California guy, the analytics are very, very down on him. Maybe like upwards of 25th player that they like. So there's, there's a lot of people that can win this tournament because a lot of people are talking about them. You have the likes of... You know, Tommy Fleetwood had the the break, the deal last year or last week. I mean, and then can he bounce back from that? Cam Smith is he is he going to win? Just you know all these guys down there, Matty. Yeah, that, that's crazy. You just said that. I, I I was gonna say, you know, a name that we haven't even mentioned, the defending champion Matthew Fitzpatrick. But go ahead, you mentioned him right before I butted in. Yeah, it's just absolutely insane that there's. It feels like that there's so many guys that we hadn't even talked about that could potentially win this tournament, and then. How about the greatest storyline that would happen? 
What if Phil Mickelson can complete the career Grand Slam this week? <laughs> that would be... Oh, wow. I mean, we would not be able Finish to do enough at, shows to talk Masters. about that. Second at the Masters. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. He, he, he can find form at certain places. And he's a, a, a California boy himself. Now, that's one that I didn't think of. And, and like you said, Matthew Fitzpatrick. Uh, I mean, that's the problem, guys. It's, there's so many. And, and as always, every U.S. Open, well, who's the qualifier going to come out of nowhere and have a good first round or a good couple of rounds? And what do we know will happen in the U.S. Open? That will happen. And we also know, guys, one thing we got to keep them watching here. Let me tell you something. Of all of our picks, We'll know after day one if we're on the right track because, as we've found in many times in a U.S. Open, you can't afford a hiccup. You have got to stay near the lead from day one. You can't go out there and shoot 75, 76 and then get it back because that's not ever going to happen to U.S. Open. They won't let you almost. So we'll know it's rare when we can look at Thursday. And all these guys we've all picked, hey, we'll either know we got some pretty good horses running or we'll be done. I completely agree with that, Woody. I was watching live from earlier, and it seemed like the word they kept using was volatility to describe L.A. Country Club. It seems like it's one of those courses, and obviously I've never seen a tournament televised there, so this might not be true, but Paul McGinley was adamant about the fact that some people are going to make birdie on a hole and some people are going to make triple and you can't be the guy that makes the big number, right, Woody? Because it is a course where you can make some birdies. Honestly, Sam, it's, I've, I've never I've never said that about most golf tournaments because people can, they can shoot some low scores on the PGA Tour, but U.S. Open, I've always found that, man, whoever you picked, if they're not there on Thursday, they're probably not going to be there on Sunday. I have a name. I have a name here, guys. Someone I had to scroll down the analytics for to even find his name. He, usually in a major, we'd go in talking about him. What do y'all think of Justin Thomas? You know what's interesting about that is I was looking at his stats earlier today, and he's only gained shots, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not looking at the analytics in front of me, T-Dub, but he's only gained shots on the greens four times since last year's RBC Canadian Open. Is that correct? I got it just in front of me with the, uh, yeah, pretty much. There's been a, a few times where he's been right around zero. So if you don't count those, uh, yeah, actually, I think that I count three of them, actually. Yeah, it's it's wow. crazy there, like how said, bad There's a few he's where he's neutral, but, but yeah, there's, so there's one, two, three. There's five times, four times here that he's lost more than a shot on the greens as well. Which, to do that, you have to putt really bad. Uh, last week, or actually two of the last three weeks, he's lost strokes gained around the greens, which is something he doesn't do. He's traditionally one of the best wedge players in the game. Uh, only uh, two of the last five events, he's lost strokes gained approach, to your point. It's like, if you're going to putt that bad, you have to be ball striking it very well. Really, since the PJ didn't hit the ball well, and then the Memorial looked like he got a little bit back, but then around the green and putting, he was absolutely horrible. So, uh, it's just that's just what was crazy about it. I had to scroll down that far to see that just a, a household name when JT think, oh, well, you have to throw them in your short list of, of people, and here we are at the end of the show, and we never we didn't say one word about. It. That's right, that's right. Speaking of guys, we need to talk about real quick. Austin Eckroat, Sam Stevens, Taylor Moore, all in the field this week. We're definitely rooting on our guys with Oklahoma connections. Uh, of those guys, who do you uh, think is going to have the better week out of those three guys with Oklahoma connections, T-Dub? 
And I go with T Moore in this situation. He he doesn't have quite the form that he had when he won back at Valspar, missed the cut to Charles Schwab, didn't make the cut at the PGA, just didn't have that high finish. Did finish twenty seventh at the Wells Fargo T four at the uh, the team event in Louisiana. So this is his first U.S. Open, so that is a little bit of question mark because there's it's such a unique test of golf. But with it being a slightly less, a slightly more forgiving, I should say, U.S. Open course comparatively, to, it's not a Shinnecock or a Wingfoot in, in terms of difficulty. So I think that'll help him. But out of those guys, Woody, I have to go with our man T. Moore. That's just so hard because I want all of them to play good. But I'm going to go with Austin. I'm going to go with that crowd. I think he's the guy to pick. I'll go with Sam Stevens just to make it interesting. I like all three of those Oklahoma guys. And then a couple more interesting names. Sergio Garcia, I think, could have a good week. He qualified from sectionals, shot a pair of 66s, I think, uh, to qualify for the U.S. Open. Also, don't forget that Bryson DeChambeau finished tied for fourth at the PGA Championship. That's an interesting name to look at on the leaderboard this week at the 2023 U.S. Open L.A. Country Club. T-Dub, final, final thoughts before we get out of here. Like I was saying earlier, I just can't wait to see how this course ends up playing out. And the one thing we haven't talked about, too, that is definitely going to happen, it happens every single year, there's going to be some local qualifier who goes out and has the early round lead. There's going to be some miraculous story. Is it going to be a Michael Block type situation? I don't I don't foresee that happening. But there always is that good feel-good story in the U.S. Open, and that's one thing that, that does come out in this is that the fact that it is an open and that you can play your way in this tournament. And it's one of the truest forms of the game in golf. The one last thing I will say is that the USGA did catch a break with this merger because uh, someone on the golf channel brought it up, can't remember who it was, but they have got, no one is talking about the distance debate anymore. And they would have got pounded with those questions this week. So one thing that the merger did happen for the USGA they get to go one U.S. Open without having talking about the distance debate. So good for them. Yeah, well, I'm still talking about the fact that Taylor Gooch should be in this U.S. Open, T-Dub, and I brought it up numerous times on Twitter this week. Taylor Gooch should be in the U.S. Open. They retroactively changed his exemption and said that he wasn't eligible basically because he went to live, and now live is doing business with the PGA Tour, which makes them not letting Taylor Gooch, the USGA not letting Taylor Gooch in the U.S. Open that much more laughable, Woody. It's a crime, truly. Is. Yeah, that, that is. I mean, I still, I still think about that. I, I mean, I just hate that because it's just hard for us not to be talking about that. He, he's, he's another Oklahoma that qualified for the tournament. And he's not there, so um, I, you know, you can't fix everything. And this is one that we'll look back on. And I hope in his career, uh, there's some poetic justice somewhere down the road for him to do good in the U.S. Open. No doubt about it. Woody, why don't you wrap us up here with your thoughts on what the U.S. Open meant to you when you were playing in it or maybe share a, a fond memory of when you played in the U.S. Open? You know, I, I played my first U.S. Open in uh, 1987 at the Olympic Club in San Francisco. I wasn't even on tour. I had just left my job as a club pro and gone through sectional qualifying in Dallas to get it. I, I I qualified at Oklahoma City Golf and Country Club and then went down to Dallas. And uh, I always remember I started, it's a 36-hole qualifier down there. My first hole, I double bogey. And I was playing with a guy named Joel Edwards that we became really good friends. And uh, I didn't know him at the time. And I went over to the second tee and I'm standing there and I thought, well, I pissed this one off. 
no, I'm not going to be able to do any good now. So might have been the best thing that ever happened to me, guys, because I relaxed. I just said, you know, what the hell, let's go. Twelve birdies later, I shot 10 under par and finished second in that, and then went out to that U.S. Open in 1987, my first U.S. Open I'd ever played in, and finished tied for 17th. So I've got really fond memories of that. It was a, a phenomenal week, and uh, it's one of those bucket lists that you wish – Every golfer could experience a major championship, but the U.S. Open's probably, I mean, to this day, that was the one that really made my uh, skin crawl because I was nervous as a cat in a hot tin roof, guys. It was uh, it was really special. So I'm envious that I can't do it anymore. These guys still can, but uh, I know they're going to have a fun week. Yeah, no doubt about it. And obviously, I have some problems with the USGA on how they treated our man Taylor Gooch, but obviously, the US Open, that's what makes it so great, is that it is an open, right? And so, everybody can go try to qualify. I made sectionals one year, played with Will Zalatoris in US Open sectionals. When else can you do that except for the U.S. Open? Guys, I'm really excited to see L.A. Country Club this week. I think that uh, the USGA can kind of right some wrongs if they do it right and kind of follow the PGA of America model on how they've run the PGA Championship over this past decade. I think that this week is a big week for the USGA, and we will be covering it all week, not only on the 73rd Hole podcast, but I'll be on the Sports Animal, and we'll be right there on GolfOklahoma.org as well. We'll be back on Sunday to preview the final round of the U.S. Open on 98.1 FM WWLS, the Sports Animal. We will also probably do another podcast later in the week, uh, so definitely hit that subscribe button. It's absolutely free, and it just helps us out, and it will give you a notification whenever we drop a new episode at the 73rd hole on twitter and at 73rd hole on instagram fellas thank you for jim woodward and taylor williams and colby powell this has been sam humphreys on oklahoma's leader in golf the 73rd hole podcast